Hello, welcome to Waldman's Words with Katie Stevenson, or Caitlin, if we're being formal. This is a cool one. This is a really cool one. I'm not sure if it was MySpace, but I met, and I'll use the word met in quotes because we hadn't actually like any in-person contact, but I met Katie when she was, I don't know if she was perusing us on the internet. I don't know if she was a fan of the singer of the band's former TV show, but I was playing in a band called The City Drive, and Katie was, without a shred of doubt, one of our most ardent and vocal supporters. And I think she was even into us before we signed a record deal and before we released an album. And we did a lot of touring, like a lot. But for some reason, we just never got around to playing in the state of Florida. Sometimes, you know, the corner states get shafted because they're either a last stop or out of the way, like... Seattle sometimes complains, you know, that they don't get the shows that they deserve, and Portland and Maine, you know, and very, very southwestern Texas. But I met her, actually, at the City Drive reunion show a few years ago. It's pretty bonkers, but that was three years ago. And she flew out from Florida to see us play a show at the Mint, and... Someone from Denmark flew out, another incredible girl named Valerie, shout out to Valerie, flew out from Texas, people from Northern California, all across America came out. And Katie was also, like, I guess I'm more emotional about this, explaining my vocal crack, but Katie was also supportive of my act, Lido Beach, and just pretty much everything I do. She's just been extremely great, so... Sometime last year, I was like, you know what? I know that you're doing comedy and improv, and I think that you could be a really unique guest for this show. So we're here now, and we're doing it. And I just want to thank Katie in advance for being just an extremely positive part of my life. We've actually had some very serious conversations about religion, and both of us are definitely not on the same side of certain issues, but we maintained respect and I never once questioned Katie's character. So I just want to say again, thank you, thank you to anyone who's ever supported, you know, the City Drive or Lido Beach or any of my management clients and especially anyone who's supported the show by listening, by, you know, sharing a link or sharing what have you for Waldman's words we're approaching the uh, three-year mark soon, and it's just fucking awesome. I mean, currently we're in, like, 130-something episodes, and I'm booked out till October. I mean, Katie is living proof of said fact. So you could tune into Waldman's Words every single Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time, which is Floridian time, rerunning bright and early Sunday morning at 5 a.m., Pacific time, 8 a.m. Eastern time, and a day or so after the show airs, it gets uploaded to the podcast app on iTunes, which is free. You can download them all, subscribe. It's actually currently on Spotify. It's been on Spotify for the past few weeks, so go nuts on there. And also, of course, go to adobe.com and stream all of them and stream many other episodes. 
of many other shows. I literally just walked out of the room after uh, Mr. Fish just interviewed Frank Zumo of Sum 41. So this studio is buck wild. So stick around for Katie Stevenson on Waldman's Words. Hello. Welcome to Waldman's Words. Yeah, half of a giggle. I wasn't sure whether to call you Katie or Caitlin in the intro, so let's start with that. Well, I went by Katie back in high school, and now as a professional adult, I go by Caitlin. But people that knew me back then, I'm fine with being Katie to them. So you knew me back then, so you can call me Katie. But anybody else, it's Caitlin. So the flyer that Emily Burke, shout out to Emily Burke, creates for you will be Caitlin because it's formal. Yes. It's formal AF. Even though I could use the F word, we could wait for a more emphatic time to do so. Yeah, you don't want to overuse it. You got to pick your pick your battles with the F word. Definitely. In general, I think that it loses its luster, but if you use it once in a while, it has that real fucking effect. It's dope. Oh, see? There you go. That was good usage. That's what they call learning. <laughs> so tell me what it was like growing up in Florida because we've had some Floridian guests before and your state has had some really incredible musicians, but you might not have like been reared on Florida music. What was the first band or artist that I guess maybe your parents showed you? Uh, growing up for me, it's a little cliche because of Florida, but it was very much Jimmy Buffett and the beach boys. Those were my parents' favorites and we would drive to the beach every weekend and that was the soundtrack to those strives. So those were kind of my first big intros. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as well. Well, he's actually a Floridian. But what's crazy is that um, I saw this movie a few weeks ago. And by the time this airs, it'll be like a month and a few weeks ago. But it's called The Beach Bum. And it takes place down there in Florida. And it's Matthew McConaughey, basically a stone drunk the whole movie. And Jimmy Buffett's in the movie. And I'm still not sure if I like the movie. I'll have to check that out because I mean I did grow up literally at Cocoa Beach every weekend and those guys were well Jimmy Buffett was like the soundtrack of my life so sounds interesting I mean my dad was a beach bum when he was a kid so he might be interested in that too well I don't know if you knew this but Jimmy Buffett's actually one of the richest living musicians in the world like you don't realize how big he is but he has like his own like liquor brand he has like a crazy merch line and hardcore fans like the definition of it oh yeah actually there's a guy here locally who's about my age who's a huge parrot head as they call that's him. it I mean, that's we have it the, thank you <laughs> we have the uh the margaritaville restaurants and stuff so he's kind of a part of orlando culture in a way but uh not not a lot of people our age are into him but the ones that are, are very very vocal about it i think that's dope own it be proud to be a parrot you know parrots talk they're a vocal bird, so be a human vocal bird. Anyway, so you, so what about the music that, because admittedly, like, we said this off camera, but I said in the intro that, you know, you were a big City Drive fan, and we could go talk about me really soon, which would be great, but you work, I guess, as a comedian slash improv artist, and I want to get into that, like, that's the crux of this, but for me, the first band that I really, really got into sans my parents, I'd say was Green Day. Like, what was your Green Day? Um, 
probably the All-American Rejects. I mean, I loved Green Day and Nirvana growing up, but I was too young to really be like a super fan of them. Um, for me, it was All-American Rejects. And looking back on it, it's kind of not embarrassing because I'm going to own like what, I, what my taste was, but um, they were just kind of this not, not quite so poppy. They were a little bit edgier than regular pop music. They were signed, sort of a rock band, and that was my pop rock. intro into that world. Pop rock. You know, like just mm -hmm. you could you can call them alternative. You can call them pop rock. I mean, but they had major blockbuster hits. I mean, I remember when Move Along dominated the world and then like what, what was the one gives you hell? Holy shit. That song was big. So they're one yeah. of those groups. Yeah. And I think by those songs, I was actually out of it. It was a really kind of a whirlwind thing. They were the first concert I ever saw. And super into that first album, the self-titled album with Swing Swing on it. And mm -hmm. then after that album, I don't know, I just kind of dropped heart. off. I found other stuff. My Paper Heart. Uh, City Drive actually got compared to them all the time. In fact, when we went on a meeting at Interscope, who eventually passed on us, they said that our demos reminded them of All American Rejects, which was very flattering because at the time they were ginormous. But so it, this was like 2003. How old are you? I am 29. I'll be 30 very soon. Well, welcome to the club. My back <laughs> currently hurts. Wait, you're, you're going to be 30 like this calendar year? Yeah, August. Okay. So, so mathematically, like when the rejects came out, you were like 14 years old. So that was like pretty prime time music discovery after I guess you outgrew them. Cause like, to be honest with you, like I don't really have any guilty pleasures. Do I listen to MC Hammer as frequently now as I did in 1990? No, but you kind of, your tastes evolve or morph or whatever. Like, what else were you listening to that maybe even maintains to this very day? Um, I think back then, Motion City Soundtrack, they were actually, like, shared the bill with All American Rejects at that first concert. And uh, I still love Motion City Soundtrack. I can still go back and listen to their stuff and really enjoy it. Um, so they're one that's held on for a long time, but I was very much into all of the pop punk popular stuff back then. So if it was cool in 2003 and 2004, if it was on Warp Tour, I listened to it and I can probably still go back and enjoy a lot of that. But Motion City held on probably the strongest. Well, Kelly and I, my wife, we went to the farewell tour for Motion City. And I got to tell you, like, it was one of the best shows we've ever been to together. And when I think of like the whole pop punk scene in like 2003, that's when like drive through ran the world and a fellow Floridian band, Newfound Glory, was destroying it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Newfound Glory actually came to town not that long ago. I wasn't able to make it because my life is crazy. But Well, you're an adult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot harder to go to concerts every weekend now. So I, I rarely make appearances at shows. But yeah, it's cool to see that they were still doing stuff. It's It's been a fun revival recently, seeing a lot of bands from that era kind of making comebacks or at least still being around. Well, I mean, I'm an artist manager and like I, I'm i 38 and married, so I, I can't go out every week like I used to. Well, every night. I used to go out every freaking night and that might explain why I'm going gray. So anyway, <laughs> back to you and I guess back to me, muhaha, the city drive. <laughs> Tell me about how you discovered them. I wasn't sure if it was like through Big Wolf on campus, through MySpace, but I've quote unquote known you for a long time. Yeah, uh, it is from Big Wolf, which is like, again, mildly embarrassing, but I was that age. It's fine. Uh, I watched it. It's Big not Wolf. embarrassing. It, 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 without <laughs> Big Wolf, I wouldn't have known you. 
So yeah, it, I mean, it was embar- it was more embarrassing for Danny than than <laughs> us, and like because he he didn't like that people recognized him from that, and he also didn't like you know without saying anything negative because I could definitely do that, but without saying anything negative, he just knew that like he was that guy where people would always say you look familiar, but didn't know who he was. So we were actually debating calling our record. You look familiar. <laughs> that would actually be great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was that era when Google or search engines was kind of a new concept, and I was remembering a show I used to watch, got curious about it, found out that Danny performed the theme song, and I was like, what? He did music? Um, and then found the CD drive, and I was like, oh, this will probably be terrible. Um, but turns out it was actually a phenomenal band, and then it became... I'm a fan of the City Drive, and the fact that I found it through Big Wolf was very much an afterthought. Um, the music was just so up my alley, so so well done. I still can listen to that album anytime and enjoy it. You know, it's crazy. Me too. So, like, for all the ups and downs that you know happened with that group, and I even mentioned that you flew out and how I actually met you for our 10 year anniversary. Um, we have that record, and that record triumphs all the bad memories by far. I'm super proud of it. But me and you, were we talking on MySpace? Because Danny was obviously how you knew of the City Drive. But like, I I felt that at that time, I was kind of like the mouthpiece, like the the MySpace guy. So I'm just curious. Yeah, no, 100%. I think a lot of the success of the City Drive, like the music obviously stands on its own legs. But in that era of MySpace, if people commented, or I don't know how we called it on MySpace, but you put the post up on the wall, mm-hmm. um, you were always responding and engaging with people. And I think for a lot of young fans, that engagement and feeling like they had a connection to the band was so huge to get them on board to be super supportive and to kind of street team it. So I know for me, like getting to talk to you and have some feel like I had some sort of interconnection to the band was a big part of what uh, kept that alive and kept that exciting for me. I mean, thank you for that. I, I can tell you cause it was completely different landscape when I was, you know, like 14, 15 years old where like maybe I would meet someone in the band or maybe I would have correspondence. I mean, email and websites were taking over, but there was no like social media and there was in America online, there were certain chat rooms for like emo and all that. But like, in those rooms, I wouldn't interact with like the singer of Jimmy Eat World. I'd interact with a bunch of fans. So your time was kind of nuts because while that was happening, people were also illegally downloading music. So it was just like technology was really like showcasing several different ups and downs. Yeah, it was a really unique time. And it's, it's one of those things I'm very happy I was alive for and that age for because I was able to absorb so much and really see this crazy change when social media hit and how it affected musicians and really celebrities of all types. Cause I think in those early stages, nobody realized how invasive it could eventually be. So a lot of Beyond. Um, people Beyond were invasive. on it and opening themselves up in a way they would never do now. And, you know, I guess I'm trying to think of the, and I guess as an antonym to that, you know, now some people are complete oversharers on it. So, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them all and there you had. So now let's talk about you. So, while you're listening to the City Drive, did you play any instruments? Like, what was um, what was your deal now? Or were you just more of just a fan? I was more of just a fan. I mean, I had a drum set that was gifted to me for, like, my 16th birthday or something, and I started to learn it and just didn't stick with it. 
Uh, I had a guitar, started to learn it, didn't stick with it. So I was uh, pretty terrible at that. You weren't Never terrible. You were a beginner. I just want to let you know that there's a huge, if you had been playing guitar for like 15 years and you had whatever ability you had, you would suck, but you're a beginner. There's a huge difference. True. I just am, I don't stick to things sometimes unless I'm super passionate about it. And I wasn't passionate enough about creating music. I was a lot more passionate about, uh, you know, ingesting it and being someone that it partook in experiencing it, going to shows, listening to music. So I never really created my own, but, uh, but you were a vocal fan. I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to music and just like don't post about online or don't interact with the people who make it. Like you were, you were just like kind of entrenched in the scene, if you will. Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, again, it was like, that was how I made friends. It was like people that like the same music where I would, you know, get my other, my actual friends to like the same music. So that would be something we would bond over, talk about. I mean, uh, I was a walking street team. If I liked a band, I was going to find a way to help promote them and help be a part of it. I know I was on the yellow card street team at one point, like all sorts of weird stuff where I'm like, I can't make music, but I can tell other people about good music and, and spread it out. Well, as a former recording artist and as a current artist manager, I can tell you right now that bands wouldn't have the careers that they have without people like you. So on behalf of humanity, I say thank you. So, I guess we can delve into why you're on the show besides being a motherfucking badass. Two curses. You. I, I had no idea personally that you were doing any kind of improv or comedy or however you want to put it. But what, I guess, scratched that bug for you? Um, I've always been like a comedic person and I didn't really have a great outlet for it. And a guy that I was dating years back was like, you should take improv classes. Um, started doing that. I took to it. You can learn it, but I think some people have an innate ability, which is something I do think I have. Um, and it just was super fulfilling. The first time I ever performed on stage, I was like, holy shit, this is the most amazing feeling. I want to do this forever. I want to make people laugh with the stuff that's coming out of my mouth and my brain. It's like a drug. When was that? That was like five years ago or so. It was a while back. So you, you got a late start. Yeah, pretty late. I was definitely in my 20s. I was, I mean, I was performing and stuff like doing sketches for like churches and stuff like helping with, but it was scripted stuff and comedic, but it wasn't my own content. And improv is always your own content every time. Well, we, I actually touched on that in the intro where... I mean, we're not going to get into a religious or philosophical debate unless you really want to, but I honestly don't. But basically how we have different beliefs, but I felt that when I would talk to you about it and hopefully vice versa, it was always respectful. And I really appreciated that because sometimes yeah, when I would have those talks with, you know, hardcore Jewish people or hardcore Christian people, I would leave disgusted. So. Yeah, no, I agree. We don't have to get into the debate, but we have had conversations. And I know, like I've said before, I think if more people were like you, the world would be a better place. So um, Tell that to my know. wife. That'd be great. Tell that to her now, actually. More people were like <laughs> me, the world would be a better place. So you got into improv. I guess this is going to be kind of a little bit of a jumbled interview, but you got into improv a little bit later. Did you, did you get a four-year degree from a school? Did you go to college? I went to college. I never finished anything. Like I said, That's if I'm I not thought. passionate, I fail. So 
I originally went to school for teaching, bailed on that. Then I went for cinematography at the school that I was working at at the time. And I got pretty far through that and just didn't finish because I didn't have the time to dedicate to the classes. So I never trained in anything that I'm particularly using. I use the video stuff occasionally, but not, not a ton. And what did you, like, what school was this? Was it full sale for some reason or am I just out of my mind? I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So full, but full, full sale is a very artsy school, correct? Yeah, it's it's all like the production stuff. So film students, um, it's all the behind the scenes of the entertainment industry, business and all of that. Cool. Did you meet any people there that you still keep in contact with? Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, the guy I'm currently dating, I met there, uh, my best friend I met there. But I mean, it was through we worked at the school together. And then some of us attended as well through online programs. So I didn't meet a lot of people as student. Um, but as an employee, I met some of the closest people in my life through that. Well, then tell me about the genesis, I guess, pun intended, of your improv career. Because you said that your boyfriend, and is this your, like, an ex-boyfriend or your current boyfriend? It's an ex-boyfriend. Well, you know what? See, just like I said (laughs) with the City Drive, like, there's ups and downs to that, but we have that record. And with your ex-boyfriend, who obviously you're not currently with, because of a pros-cons relationship, you know, assessment without him you might not have done what you're doing now oh for sure no I'm, I'm super thankful to that every time I think about that whole thing it's like well I got a huge part of my life through through him pushing me to do that so I, I never I don't look at anything in my past as a regret it's you always learn something you always get something out of anything whether it ends well or not I mean I appreciate your positivity I I struggle with that but you just got me thinking that like what good have I gotten from like ex lovers? And I I'd say I've gotten some really great angry songs. So I'm stoked on that, you know? Yeah. There you go. So I guess we're going to wrap up segment one in a few, but when you took your first class, was it like, I don't, I don't know the scene in Florida at all, but I do know out here they have groundlings, they have UCB, they have IO, they have, a million different improv groups. Like what was yours? Um, here, the main one that anyone would go to is called SAC comedy lab. Uh, they've been around for over 25 years now. Um, it's an incredible place. Like the, the teaching there is top notch. I mean, I've taken classes in Chicago as well. And I'll tell you that like second city. Yeah. I took classes at second city as well. Um, and the teaching here has been top notch. I mean, it's astounding the talent that's in Orlando. It's kind of a hidden gem. If people ever come down here and want to check out the comedy scene, it's crazy how much talent there is down here now. Well, I mean, I imagine like just growing up and hearing about shows like the Mickey Mouse Club and obviously Britney, Sync, Backstreet Boys, all Christina Aguilera. Like it seemed like in the mid to late nineties, Orlando was where it was at in terms of pop stardom. So it makes sense that you know, comedically, it'd be one of the bigger ones. Yeah, there's a lot of arts people down here. I mean, I think Disney is a big poll. People that are performers want to work in the parks. And then through generations of raising more kids in theater and all that, there's just a wealth of arts community down here. It's it's one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize about Orlando is that our arts and drama and comedy and all of that here is really massive. It's it's on par, not on par with like LA and New York, but it's it's a pretty big scene that I think would beat out other massive cities. I'd say, you know, when I think of the entertainment industry, I'd say the big three 
would be L.A., New York, and Nashville. Um, okay. And I would I would put Orlando up there in terms of influence because so much happens there, and obviously Disney is is an animal. I mean, it's getting its own uh, on-demand network soon, so that's going to be crazy. So yeah. we're going to take a short break, but before we do and we really delve into you know, improv comedy, what advice would you give old Katie? Well, not old, young Katie. You're still, you're still young. But uh, what advice would you give former Katie when you're going to your first improv audition or class? Uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't, don't care what people think or how you look. Just go be yourself. Say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. That's the biggest thing. Stop judging yourself. Well, I think that that's really good and sweet advice in general. I think a lot of people are very, very hard on themselves. And with social media and with airbrushed ads, people have these standards that are just beyond unrealistic. So being kind to yourself is important. And obviously, as an improv performer, if you're in your head too much, you're going to suck. Oh, yeah, that's major. So we're going to take a short break, and that will not suck. So enjoy these commercials, enjoy these ads, enjoy your bathroom break, enjoy your cliff bar, whatever you're doing. And we will be back with Kate Lynn Stevenson. All right, we're back with Kate Lynn Stevenson. I know her as Katie. Sorry, y'all. Or y'all, that's very Floridian of me. But sorry. And... She actually ended the first segment by saying that she wished she told her former self, her young, new improv self, which was approximately five years ago, you know, to just be kinder and not take it too, too seriously, correct? Yeah, I think that's a, a thing people have trouble with when they perform in general. They're so worried about being judged or doing it wrong that they get too in their head and end up not actually producing good content because of that. Well, tell me about the process, because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've taken a few improv classes. I took two Groundlings classes. I loved the first one, and I couldn't stand the second one. And I took one UCB class, and I'm just like, I don't want to do this. So, like, what was it like for you? Um, so where I take them, it's like there's four levels of basic classes. And that first, when you first start taking improv, it's really about breaking down those boundaries and getting you to do that core, very cliche improv thing, which is to just say yes and to everything. Yep, because um, it kills the scene. If you say, like, I'm I'm a teacher from Istanbul, and I'm like, no, you're not. Like, that would fuck 100%. it up. <laughs> Biggest pet peeve in the world is when people, we call it blocking, whenever you block an offer like that. So in the beginning, it's really just learning to accept yourself and to be okay with whatever weird thing you say. It's like, yep, that's 100% correct. Whatever you just said is right, and we're rolling with it. Um, so that's the start of it. And then from there, it's really just building technique and understanding the core principles of improv and how to put together a cohesive scene that's enjoyable to watch. What would be a cohesive scene of improv? Cause obviously when you're watching a show, like everybody loves Raymond, it's all written and planned out. But for a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's like, there's an A and a B, like Larry meets Susie at a deli. And at the end, uh, Larry gets kicked out of the deli. But what happens between A and B is up to them. So what would mm -hmm. be a cohesive improv scene? 
I mean, it's sort of the same thing. You still want all the key story elements as best as you can. You want to establish who the characters are to each other, how they know each other, what's their relationship. Uh, there needs to be some sort of plot progression. There's something important that needs to be happening. Uh, and then we need some kind of resolution, ideally, at the end, some kind of change to have happened either with the characters or with the situation. So it's the same like tried and true story arcs that you have in any kind of story, the hero's journey, all of that. You just have to find it as you go and be cognizant of where you're at in that thing. It's like, okay, we're kind of in the climax now. Let's start to figure out where we're headed from here. What's what's the new normal going to be at the end of this scene? And just being aware. And you have to trust your partner. Yeah, that's major. That's why a lot of improv teams are established groups that work together a lot because you kind of know what to expect from that person, what their kind of role in the scene is. Are they the grounded person? Are they the more zany character, typically? We all sort of fall into roles, typically, as performers as well. Well, I was watching a few documentaries on WWE, and believe it or not, that's a lot of that is improv, too, because you know they have a planned result, and sometimes it's strictly choreographed, and it takes so much freaking talent and athleticism and sometimes it's kind of like an A to a B and the really good wrestlers that all the wrestlers revered were the ones that made their opponents look better even the ones that you know would lose to their opponents they they find a way to be so good that it makes someone who might be an inferior athlete better do you find that for improv as well oh yeah I mean the best compliments that I get after performing is from other performers saying like, I feel really safe on stage with you. Or, um, I know if I get on stage with you, I'm going to be supported and I'm going to be okay. That's the biggest thing you can do for a fellow performer is just get on stage, make sure they look good, make their choices look smart. If they say something that is weird or whatever, find a way to justify it and make it seem like, Oh man, the person that said that was so funny. It's like you justified it, but it makes their joke pay off in the long run. So that's very, very true in improv. And, you know, if you believe it as the scene partner, the audience will likely believe it too. Yeah, exactly. Justify their reality. Like, make it real for your character, and then the audience will come along as well. I like to be the person that's sort of the audience's surrogate in the scene, calling things out and, and that kind of stuff, which is super fun. Well, I would love to hear, you know, about the process, because you said at your program there were kind of like four tiers. So... When you went, was it kind of like you go and there's a beginner's class that everyone has? Or was there an audition from there? Because for Groundlings, uh, you had to audition, but the beginner's class is open to everyone after an audition. And you either get into that, which they put most people in, or if you blow them away at your audition, they put you in the more advanced track. Yeah, here it's very much just a set almost like schooling system. So if you take level one, that's an eight week course where you learn the basics. If you graduate from that, then you're open to take level two and then three and then four. And then there's more advanced classes after that as well that you have to have completed all four to do. So it's more of just a progression. If, if you can get through each course, then you're okay to move into the next thing. Um, they have an audition for like their kind of base level troupe that performs each week. And that's the first auditioned thing that they have. What does that entail? Um, so that is the audition for that is very rare that they even hold it. Uh, but when they do, it's pretty simple. You get on stage, play some group games and do a couple of scene things with other auditioners. And then if you get in, you perform probably once a month uh, on like Tuesday night shows. 
give me an example of a group game because I think the beauty of this show is that you know there's about 25,000 people who listen each time. Not trying to scare the crap out of you, but it's true. And your words might inspire some young boy or young girl or old boy or old woman in Lexington, Kentucky to do it. So what would a game be? Yeah, so a simple improv game would be like a one word at a time story. So you stand in a circle with other improvisers and going around the circle, each person gets to contribute one word to the story. So you have to build a plot line together. And again, find that story arc, find the resolution. Can we try one? No idea. Hmm? Can we try one? Sure. I've, I've never done this, so I'm just letting the audience know that if this sucks, <laughs> it's my fault, not Katie's. But then again, to put pressure on her, Katie should be able to make someone shitty sound good. Muhaha. So let's do it's this. True. Let's try okay. it. Okay. Okay. You want to start or you want me to start? You. All right. Once. Upon. A. Time. There. Was. A. Young. Boy. Named. Daryl. Do I say period or do I go on to the next sentence? You just go on to the next sentence. Okay. Daryl. Was. A. Small. Teenager. He. Had. A. Delayed. Growth. Spurt. Once. Daryl's height changed. He developed more manhood. <laughs> and that's pretty much a story. Like that's an awesome story, well, man. He, he got more manhood when he got tall. So that's a, that's a word at a time story. Pretty simple, basic. There's no wrong answers to that. Yeah, I know, but I feel like I could have come up with a few wrong answers. Like if, if you were like once and I was like, Polka. Like, you'd yeah. be like, what? <laughs> you run into people playing that game that don't want to do the, the, a, was, like, the, the middle words. They don't want to contribute those. But it's like, they're just as important to making this make sense as the big words. Yeah, if you would have said once and then I would have used can't right after, you'd be like, this person sounds like they don't have any fluency in the language that they're supposed to be fluent in. And I think it would take the momentum away from the story for both the other group member and the audience. So I tried. Yeah, no, you did a great job. I mean, the, like a that B or really a B plus or like an A plus plus. I give you an A plus plus for that. You did great. Oh my God. You're so nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all about listening and, and being in the moment, not trying to think ahead. You'll have to respond to what's happening in the moment. I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for life, but the cool, cool thing about that, and this is the first time I had someone from your arena on the show, and I've never played an improv game on the air, so thank you for that. You're very welcome. So I guess after you know, you're know you taking a few courses, and I'm assuming each course is kind of like a few months long, once a week, or how does it work? They're about... Uh, six to eight weeks long. Uh, typically, you maybe have a one-week break in there, so it's a couple months to get through. And then does someone say, okay, we, you can take the next course, like whereas if this was a beginner's one, this is a, you know advanced beginner intermediate, or they say, you know, uh, if you really are interested in this, uh, we want you to repeat this? I mean, ideally, they would pass or fail people, but 
to be honest, at the school that I went through, like, as far as I know, everyone always got put through whether or not they should have. Was That's why the through. sirens are going off, man, because people yeah. in your hood are investigating improper <laughs> improv promoters. You know, it's a, it's one of those things you want to be kind to people and encourage them. But at the same rate, like some people do need more training before moving forward. And, uh, that's a hard balance to strike, but down here it's a little more lovey dovey than it is strict. I can tell you that in Los Angeles, it felt a little stricter. Um, for me at least, I mean, the, the intro class I took was way warmer and I actually really enjoyed it. And then I took the level two class and I was dreading it each class. I was just uncomfortable. I felt really constricted because there were so many rules. And I'm a, I'm a fan of rules, obviously. But for something like this, I felt that it stifled my own personal creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're first learning like all that core stuff, and I haven't taken classes in California, so I'm, I can't speak to the curriculum. But I know as you move up in improv, you learn a lot of um, what could be considered rules, like do's and don'ts, like do this, don't do that here's the guidelines and it can be restricting, but you really have to learn those things first. Um, we say you learn all the rules so that you know when and how to break them. That's essentially how improv works, but you got to learn them first. What were some of the rules besides yes. And, and can you, ex- I mean, we briefly explained yes. And, but could you explain it? Cause yours is so much better than mine would be. Yeah. So yes. And is actually a perfect example of a rule that is made to be broken. So yes. And is not just saying, Yes, like if you say, um, I'm a space alien and and fruit is disgusting, you can say, yes, you are a space alien, and I disagree with you. Fruit is not disgusting. Fruit is great. Um, It's a terrible example, but it's to say, like, yeah, it's to say, I agree with the reality that you're presenting to me, but we don't necessarily have the exact same opinions on stuff, and I, I don't have to just say, yep, you're right about everything. I can disagree with you. I cannot like you, whatever, as long as that reality is something that we're sharing. Do you so that's have, the core of yes and. Do you have any horror stories about performing in front of an audience? Um, luckily, I've not really had any terrible, terrible experiences. Good. Um, uh, recently, I had one where it was a big group scene at the end of a large show where there were a bunch of performers and a, a terrible scene had just happened and the stage was cleared. Uh, no one wanted to walk out. So I went out and started a scene and just started doing object work. Um, and no one came out for a very long time. And then, um, like four people came out at once and all just kept establishing stuff that made no sense. And it was, I mean, I made it make sense, but it was like, okay, someone needed to be here, but not five of you. And all of you are adding different stuff. Like this is a train wreck. It was very crazy. Um, Situations like that are kind of, I guess, analogous to when you play a gig as a musician and the first song just sounds like crap. That half hour, 45 minutes or hour, or however long your set list is somehow feels like an eternity. Whereas yeah. sometimes you do it and it's like, whoa, that, that was it? It's over? Yeah, and most improv shows fly by and I've had, luckily I have amazing people around here and we've had great shows, but occasionally you get some players that you know are newer or whatever and you're in an open jam scenario where anybody can jump in and uh, it can be a little bit painful to watch and to participate in. So that's the danger of improv when you're with 
newer players. Well, where are you at right now as an improv performer or comedian, if you will, in 2019? Yeah, so I have a troupe that I established like four years ago called the Improvengers, which is, uh, of course, a cheesy play on um, the Avengers mixed with improv. Uh, We perform a lot of stuff like at comic conventions and that. So we have Megacon coming up. That's our big thing every year. So I play with them a lot. Um, I perform locally at a lot of different stuff. The indie scene here is pretty big. So I jump in on a lot of shows on a week to week basis and just recently did a Herald for the first time, which is a specific long form format. Uh, so I went through it with a group and, and did a Herald recently. So that was, what does that mean exciting. exactly long form? Like, cause normally is it kind of like ADD theater where it's like several sketches and then it just keeps changing? Yeah, so short form is like game-based. So there's typically some sort of rule structure in it that makes that makes the funny happen. So um, uh, ABC Shakespeare, all the lines have to start with A, then B, then C, and you say it like Shakespeare, whatever. That's short form. They're usually about three minutes long, and then you totally wipe it and get a new game. Um, long form is typically where you get one suggestion, and then you're doing either one very long scene for a half hour or a lot of interconnected scenes that are maybe three to five minutes, but they're interweaving in and out. It just depends on the format. There's a lot of different long form formats you can do. Well, well, it seems like, you know, you really explained a lot about this, which is really badass. And I know that a lot of people who pursue music or pursue improv or theater, they have other jobs. And, you know, when I was in the City Drive, that was full-time. But when I was doing Lido Beach, I also worked at a law firm. So how do you spend your 9 to 5 or whatever hours you have? Uh, That changes a lot. It actually changed a lot recently. Now I'm actually doing a couple of things. So I'm working from home for an entrepreneur. I've worked for entrepreneurs for a while doing, like, administrative stuff, project management, all of that. So I'm helping a guy rework his systems. Um... I work in the theme parks sometimes, uh, and I'm about to start working and doing like some customer support for another big company. So I pretty much make money however makes sense so that I can spend my evenings doing what I actually love to do, which is performing. Like an independent contractor? Yeah, I've been an independent contractor for about three years, and filing taxes is not fun. No, it sucks. (laughs) It really, really, really sucks. But the thing about you is as a artist or patron of the arts, you can write off movies you go to. You can write off if you were going to a concert or if you were going to see, you know, um, Jerry Seinfeld perform, you can write that off. So that's pretty badass. Yeah, that's, I have found that filing taxes with the write-offs has been a lot more helpful and it is great. Like all my improv classes and shows and stuff, they definitely all go into that bracket. Well, that's wonderful. And we're going to cut this off in a little bit, but I guess one last question for you is what do you do when you're not working and what do you do when you're not doing improv? Uh, play a lot of board games and card games and stuff. Uh, my boyfriend and I are very into going to, uh, the local board game stores and playing like key forge and rising sun and all these crazy games. That's, that's our big hobby right now. And even D and D lately, which is kind of crazy, but I have actually enjoyed it. I've never heard of the games that you spoke of, but D&D makes complete sense because it's an improv game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, performance-based, essentially. So that makes sense, but, you know, it gets a bad rap with some, but I, I loved it when I was a kid, and 
the dye is crazy. That thing oh, yeah. is crazy. It's got so many colors. So I guess <laughs> we're going to cut this off. I really, really appreciate you and your time. And I would love it if you would tell the people listening how they could check out what you're doing. Yeah, so we have, uh, the Improventures has an Instagram and a Facebook. Uh, I actually also do Twitch streaming now, which is a whole other thing. Uh, and that is Casty Streams on Twitch. Um, but if you check out the Improvengers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you can find all my improv stuff on there. Wonderful. And you're a badass mofo. So every week, Waldman's Words is on Tuesday nights at 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern time, and I said the intro, Floridian time, rerunning bright and early Sunday mornings at 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. Eastern slash Floridian time. You can go on iTunes and download every single episode. Subscribe to the show on the podcast app. You can go on adobe.com and stream every single episode. I believe we're in around like the 130-something episodes. So if you really wanted to, you could spend a few consecutive days listening to my charming voice. And you can go on Spotify now as of recently and stream every episode. And I guess sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't, but I'll give this adjective to describe our interview, and I will say sweet. What Aww, would you do? I love that. I like it too. Do you have one? <laughs> um, reminiscent. Okay. I'll take that. I mean, both of these are sweet reminiscing. So, yeah. Katie, thank you so very much for your time. Everyone listening, have a good everything.